spirits, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus and able to have fellowship together. And we do long for the time where we can be each other in the same place at the same time. Uh, but uh, please don't forget to, to book up uh, with Bethia to be here. And as I said in a recent email, if there's uh, too many uh, to fit in the building, we'll do some kind of a bit of a rotor basis so that everyone can get a chance until that day when we can all gather in here. So we're looking forward to that. Let's pray for each other. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've been reminded of already as we've sung. Thank you, Lord, for what we've been reminded already as we read your word. Thank you, Lord, for fellowship with each other. Thank you for our dear brothers and sisters online and for our dear brothers and sisters here in this room. We pray for the children in the little hall and ask you to bless them and those who are teaching them. And Father, we pray for our sister church, Lord, in, in, in Newark, in Pelham Street, and pray for your blessing there. Be with Pastor Andrew as he brings your word to the folk there. But now, Lord, as we open our Bibles, we pray, as we often do, that you'd open our hearts and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've basically got um, three kind of principles coming out of the passage this morning. And uh, first of all, don't be complacent. Don't put off important things when you can do things about them now. And don't overindulge. There's a war on, you know. So those are kind of three things. So we're looking at, oh, go back here we are. We're looking at a series through Amos. Amos, And uh, he's a shepherd prophet. And just to catch up uh, for those who may be jumping into the series partway through, Amos was a shepherd and uh, a farmer from the south of Israel called Judah. And uh, he was called by God to go to the northern tribes to preach a warning and a message to them uh, there in the, in the north. So Israel as a whole nation was split up into the two parts and there was the, the north and the south. And of course, of course, there was that animosity uh, one to another, not always getting on. Um, there'd been civil war, but they were basically the one people, but they got sadly split up through, through that division caused by the war. So Amos goes north uh, into Israel and Samaria is the capital of the north and Jerusalem is still the capital of the south. So that's uh, where we're at and uh, the subject of the title today overall is don't be complacent, don't be complacent. And the first thing it starts off in the passage here is a woe to you who are complacent, woe to you who are complacent. So don't be complacent. And uh, don't put off important things. Don't overindulge. There's a war on. Those are the three things that we're going to look at. Um, but woe to you who are complacent. Well, it's good, though, to be at ease over certain things. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus actually encourages us, invites us to be at ease over certain things. So he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So those who are burdened because of their sin, their guilt, and all that life is throwing at them uh, in the sin-spoiled world, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he invites us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A lovely picture, isn't it? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it, it is right to be at ease about certain things. We can be at ease based on God's promises. We can be at peace. We can rest on his reliability, on his trustworthiness. But we must always keep that sense of wonder and that amazement and never become complacent or blasé 
about these things. So there's a balance there. We can rest in God. We can be at ease. That's the invitation, the great invitation of the Christian gospel, that we can be at ease, at peace with God, based upon his word, based upon his promises. But we need to take God seriously at the same time. We need to take God seriously. And there are many things that we need to face up with and deal with and things that we must not be complacent about. Now, Warren Wiersbe said this, that complacency is an insidious sin because it is based on lies, motivated by pride, and leads to trusting something other than God. So when we rest at ease in God's things, as it were, and his, based on his promises, that's a good thing. But when we start to trust ourselves, when we start to trust other people, when we start to rely upon other things, when we shift away from focusing on what God says and putting our rest and trust in other things, then complacency can set in. Now, the message is addressed to the people in two parts of Israel, this one. Normally, it's been addressed to the north. But this message in chapter 6, uh, verse, these first seven verses, is addressed to Israel and Judah. And so both capital cities are mentioned of Judah and Israel, which are Zion or Mount Samaria, sorry, or Jerusalem and Mount Samaria. Now, both these cities were on hills, so they were in good defensive positions. So if you were a military strategist, you would think, well, Samaria, Jerusalem, they're on good positions, good defensive positions on hills. God says, woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. And it's addressed to notable people, if you note. It's addressed to you notable men of the foremost nation. They, will, they would think of themselves, we're the best. People in Jerusalem would think, yes, we're the best. People in Samaria would think, yes, we're the best. We're better than them. To you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. People come to you, you're the leaders, you're responsible. But as we've seen before, the challenge is to these leaders who are not leading. They're not leading God's way. Now, it doesn't mean that other people in those nations don't need to wake up and don't need to be aroused out of their complacency, but these leaders were especially responsible. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. So basically what the message is saying is look at certain cities. Look at the cities around you, you leaders in Jerusalem, you leaders in Samaria. Places that have already come to ruin, have already suffered disaster. Compare them and their kingdoms with yours, with the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Go to verse 2. Go to Kalna and look at it. And go from there to Great Hamath. And then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? The obvious answer is no. Instead of facing the serious situation about their nation the nation of Israel in the north and Judah in the south, instead of facing the reality, the serious reality of the suffering of people around them, instead of facing the reality of threats from the, the Assyrians, the enemies that are, if you like, coming along as uh, they, they kind of get more, more and more powerful, these wealthy leaders, instead of taking these things seriously, they are complacent. They're trusting in their physical defenses. They're trusting in their armies. They're trusting in their human abilities. And Jeremiah 17, verse 5, uh, talks about this, how we trust in people instead of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
the message comes to these people in the north and south. Why are you any better? Any, why are you any stronger than the nations around you? They've already faced disaster. And they may answer, well, we have the Lord, don't we? Our, our countries are, are named after the Lord. We've got temples and places where we, 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 we worship the Lord. But the response would be, and as we've seen already through Amos, you might say that you're the Lord's, but you're not living as the Lord's. So don't be complacent. And related to that is don't keep putting it off. Don't keep putting it off. Now, years ago when I was growing up, um, in the last century, which it was, someone brought our family a little circular plate that you could put on the wall or put on a shelf. And the words on this plate said this, around to it, around to it. And people sometimes say, don't they, I'll, I'll get to do it when I get around to it, when I get around to it. Well, someone got us around to it, so we had no excuse. Now, people in Israel were living as if the trouble that was coming, that they'd been warned about many, many times by, by God's prophets, they were living as if the trouble would never actually come. They kept putting off their response. They kept being complacent. But the warning is that their complacency, their putting off what they need to do about the situation, is actually bringing the day of disaster even nearer. Verse 3 says, you put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. By your complacency, by your putting it off, you're actually bringing near the day of terror. Now, some things in life are wise to plan into the future, aren't they? To think ahead, a year or two ahead. Things sometimes take a long time to plan. Things sometimes take a long time to make, to organize, whatever it might be. But some things, like checking our car tires, or dealing with that roof leak, or going to see the doctor about that pain, some things, if we put off, we know we're building up trouble, aren't we, for the future? More trouble for us, maybe more trouble for other people. Sometimes we need to plan ahead because we need to save for something. We need to save to, to buy something for the household, something that we need, something that's important, a repair or whatever it might be. And we need to plan to save up into the future. But some things we can do something about now. Plugging that leak or or whatever it might be, or just phoning the doctor. If I don't do that, Mandy urges me, so she's my prompter there. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, and he said this, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And that's, that is actually a biblical principle. It's not, it doesn't actually say that in the Bible, but that is a biblical principle. Never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Now, in the nation of Israel, as we've seen, there were spiritual issues of idol worship, uh, people neglecting what God had said to them, injustice and so on. There were issues in the nation such as poverty uh, and uh, social injustice and things like that. There was a serious enemy that God had warned them about that was looming large. There were a number of crucial issues that the leaders needed to deal with, things that they could do. They could have started to help the poor in society. They could have started to bring about a reform in the nation. They could have started to make sure the priests weren't corrupt. They could have got rid of the idols. They could have brought in people like Amos and others to come and help them to understand what God wants them to do, to start to put things right in their lives. But they kept putting them off. Tomorrow, next month, next year, or even they didn't even consider it at all because they were so focused on what they wanted. 
But the longer they left them, the closer disaster would come. In fact, disaster will come more quickly because of their neglect and their complacency. It was making the situation worse in the nation. And God was coming closer to act in judgment because of it. So what they need to do is to wise up to sin, face up to it. They need to do, take practical steps. They need to turn to the Lord to save them. They could do that then, there and then. Are there sins that you and I need to wise up to? Things that the Holy Spirit has been convicting us about. We know we've got to do something about it. But we haven't wised up to it. We haven't acknowledged it. We could do. We could even start to pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing to repent. We could start that, couldn't we? We could do it now. We don't have to wait till tomorrow. We could start something about it now. Practical steps. Maybe get on with that tax return or whatever else it might be. That practical thing. Practical things that we could do today and don't have to wait till tomorrow. Maybe the thing that you need to, to face up to and do something about today is to become a Christian. Is that the case? Folk online, folk in this room, is it actually to become a Christian? Why wait till tomorrow? We don't know how long our lives are going to be. We don't know what our futures are going to be. We don't know what's going to take over our lives in the next few days, or the illness, tragedy. We're just so focused in life, in business, or whatever it might be, that we kind of get distracted. And what God is saying to us today, we forget, and it gets further and further fading into the past. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. Turn to me, God says. Jesus said to us earlier on, didn't we, in that passage in Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He offers us a salvation, offers us a rescue. Don't wait till tomorrow. Trust in the Lord today. There have been people who heard the Christian message, ignored it, rejected it, put it off. And God has kind of closed the door on the opportunity. Something has happened. Their lives have come to an end, one way or another. Something has happened. So don't keep putting it off. And the third thing is, woe to the indulgent. And we're looking at verses four to seven. Now, there's a, this is a massive issue. And there's a whole debate and dilemma to work out what we need versus luxury. What we need versus what is luxury one of the features of our times is referred to in 2 timothy chapter 3 verse 4 that people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god so we desire comfort we desire pleasure over and above god and things that are to do with god now the lord jesus warned us about how material possessions can be a snare to us luxuries can be a snare to us and they can choke out god's word in our lives we can get taken up with these things and what God is saying to us gets put into the background as we focus or as these things take over our lives. Matthew, Mark chapter 4 verse 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the words, making it unfruitful. So it's as if the focus on pleasures, on making money and wealth and things like that can actually choke what really matters. And Jesus warns us about that now the people in Israel were complacent they were kind of putting off what they really needed to do and they were overindulging in luxuries instead of focusing on the things that they should do verse 4 
You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. Now, this would be predominantly the leaders, of course, the people who are wealthy, who could afford these things, of course. You lie on beds adorned with ivory. Now, notice these don't just these people don't just have good beds. You could, well, I understand if you've got the money, invest in a good bed. But they had luxurious beds. They were unnecessarily expensive. They were inlaid with ivory. Now, people have dug up in the area of Samaria and found evidence of ivory uh, carvings and so on from that time. They were luxuriating in things that were not necessary. Now, being content as a Christian is an important principle. And we see that in Philippians 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul was a missionary a uh, preacher who traveled around and he'd learned in all kinds of circumstances he'd, he'd sometimes been well well off uh, he worked as a tent maker probably a good business but at times when he couldn't work times when he was struggling he had all sorts of adventures and dangers that he went through in his, in his missionary journeys and this is what he says in philippians 4 verse 11 i am not saying this because i am in need for i've learned to be content whatever the circumstances i know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So to learn to be content is an important principle. Now, I would hazard a guess that at least some of us in this room have one of the ways that we've coped with a lockdown is this, that we've flicked through a big website, haven't we, that sells the stuff. And thought, hmm, I think I'd like to cheer myself up with, with one of those. So we've ordered it, haven't we? And it comes the next day. And we feel so, oh, we feel so, someone sent me something. Well, I sent myself it, really. But I've got this parcel. And I open this parcel, and it's a new gadget. It's a new what's it? It's a new thingy. It's a new something to wear. And we feel a little bit of buzz about it, don't we? And then we've thought, oh, I feel a bit discontent. Hmm. I know. I'll go back on the website again. And I'll order another thingy or what's it or a gadget. And it comes and the, the, the postman gives it to us. And oh, someone sent me something. We sent it ourselves, really. But, you know, it's nice to pretend, isn't it? And then we open it and it's for me. Oh, look at these. Oh, so nice. And we feel a bit better. It's nice, but it's, there's something dangerous there, isn't there? It, we're doing it out of discontent sometimes. Sometimes we need things. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can get into the habit, can't we, of you know, shopping or whether it be online or in, in person or whatever it might be, things that we want to get to make us feel a bit of a buzz, to feel a bit excited, and we focus on those things. It's very easy to get into that, things that we don't always need. Now, it's not wrong. In fact, it's positively right to work to supply our reasonable needs, isn't it? And to enjoy what we're blessed with. To enjoy the fact that we've got a nice home and thank God for it. To enjoy the fact that we've got a sofa to sit on and thank God for it. To enjoy the fact that we've got health and strength and thank God for it. So we're not to kind of be um, kind of all grumpy about things and uh, moaning and stuff and uh, a bit like Scrooge. We can enjoy life. We can enjoy God's good things. We can enjoy food. We can enjoy the countryside. We can enjoy life. But we need to learn hold to hold lightly to possessions, material things. And there's a balance there, isn't there? There's a, uh, a balance that we see in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 and 9. And uh, it's a prayer, really, this uh, balancing proverb, Proverbs 30 and verse 7. 
Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So there's a balance there, isn't there? Not too much that we forget God, not too little that we're struggling and attempted to steal. So we, we aim for aiming for a balance there. It's a good principle. Now, what we need is different for different individuals, isn't it? Different families, different roles. What a single person needs is different from what a family of seven need. You know, it's obvious, isn't it? It's absolutely obvious. And, and people in different roles in life. If you work as an ambassador uh, for a country, your role in life is different from someone who's a handyman, uh, as the kind of part, part of what I do. And so you can't compare like for like, can you, in these different things and in different parts of the world. It's hard to compare like for like when we think of needs, what a person needs. I remember years ago uh, going to India for a three-week mission. And uh, I, I did give, give some money away to the beggars there. And it's awful to see the begging that goes on and to know of children who are deliberately, well, back then at least, hopefully it doesn't go on today, but children who are deliberately made uh, uh, arms broken, legs broken and, and not healed properly so that they could beg and, uh, from people and, and get more money. So all, awful things that went on. But I'd, I was able to give some money to some of the beggars, which was, in a sense, feeling like a, 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 drop in a, a drop in the ocean. But I remember feeling guilty. I remember feeling guilty that I couldn't give more. And I also felt conscious that these poor people around me thought that I was very rich. You know, I was obviously a Westerner and they thought I was rich. And compared to them, I was in a way. You know, if, that, if I could have brought them to my home in England, and I did want to bring the whole orphanage back with me, by the way, but they wouldn't let me. Um, but, um, you know, if I was to bring someone from that poor situation back home, it would be for them a massive move up in terms of comfort and wealth. And so compared to them, I was rich, but, but living expenses in the UK are a lot higher than in India, aren't they? So it's very hard to compare like for like. And I'd actually spent all my savings, basically, on funding that trip to India. So I came back with just a, a kind of a token, uh, a few rupees as a, a kind of memorial. And that's all I've got, all I've got back, came back with from going to that trip at the end, at the end of that trip. But the truth is that within our culture, within our country's cost of living there is a line where reasonable needs turn into luxuries and overindulgence and that's what we need to be aware of we are each answerable to the lord for our choices and our lifestyle aren't we we're not to judge each other we're not in a position to compare ourselves oh they've got a nice new car or whatever we're not in a position to do that because we don't know the circumstances of what people are going through but clearly the leaders in jerusalem and samaria they had crossed the line because god is condemning them we don't have a right to condemn them, but God was condemning them for their overindulgence. One of the things that we can see is how the expectations of what we think we need have risen over the years in our culture. Now, we need to be fair because, as I said, it's hard to compare different families, different cultures, different countries, like for like. But also, it's, it's hard to think of comparing the past with the present and so on. But if we were to ask for example, what families' needs were 50 years ago, 60 years ago, it would be different from today, wouldn't it? What we need would be different. An American survey found that as income increases, what people consider needs also increases. 
Luxury increases a desire and, a, and an expectation for luxury. So that's the way that works so often. Now, when people move into a home, you might have noticed this. Some people rip out a decent kitchen, don't they? Some people redecorate straight away. Sometimes people do that getting into deeper debt, all because they can't love, live with the, with the current decor. Now, I think, hmm. I could live with that kitchen. Why do they have to take it out? You know, just for a bit of a different color paint. Why not, you know, why do it straight away? And some people just seem to not be able to cope with even just something that looks a bit different color uh, from what they like. And I'd be thinking, well, it works. Let's, let's leave it in and let's, let's live with it for a few years. And uh, we have done with our kitchen, Andy. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Truth's out. Maybe, maybe you could do it over the years bit by bit but it does seem criminal sometimes doesn't it how much is changed just because of taste because of preference what an estate agent says in need of modernization that means something very different to what people would think 50 years ago wouldn't it <laughs> but as christians we need to learn to have wisdom don't we and balance of what is needful and nice versus what is indulgent luxury of course, there's such a thing as a false economy, isn't there? And I've done that. I confess that. Another confession here. To think, oh, a cheap bargain, second-hand bargain, buy that. I thought I'd saved money, but actually I end up buying something extra. I have to buy something else as well, a better version, because actually it was a false economy. I had to spend more money in the end. I'm sure we've all thought we had a bargain, but wasn't. A Christian who can afford a quality car is not to be judged as overindulgent because that car might last longer than a cheaper alternative and save money in the long run. And they might have done all the maths and worked it all out and we're not uh, there to, to judge. But there is a line and we, are, we know that in our own hearts, whatever our circumstances might be, where decent turns into decadence, where decent turns into decadence. And as Christians, we need to remember that we're not in our final destination, are we? We're not in our final destination. Right now, we're in a spiritual battle. We're still in the war. We're in a war to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, when people had to live with rationing and the restrictions in the Second World War, there was this saying, wasn't there? Well, there is a war on, don't forget. There is a war on. Well, at least that's what they say in Dad's army. But as Christians, we know that there is a war on, isn't there? There is a battle on. It's not a war with fighting, with guns, thankfully, but it's a war to love people to love them, to share the gospel with them, and to live a gospel life before them. That's the war. That's what we're about. And it's a serious kind of war, and it means that we don't live for this world alone, but we invest in the world as it will be. We invest in people's lives. We invest in the gospel. We invest in the world to come, not simply in this world. We need certain things in this world, but ultimately we focus on the next. So we invest in spreading the gospel. We invest in supporting missionary partners in the life of the church. We invest in using our resources to show the love of God to others in this community. We invest in the church of Christ as priorities in our lives. Well, that's time, money, energy, effort. And if there's a choice between luxury and adequate, we're prepared to forgo luxury for the sake of God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Now, if God blesses us with more than we need, that's not sinful. It's not sinful to be rich. There were rich people that were on Jesus' team, some of the ladies who are from Herod's palace who supported him at their wealth. Uh, and it's nothing wrong with earning well, with having status, with having, uh, doing, doing well in your work and business. But we need to also to recognize that we're on a war footing. 
We need to have a, a war awareness, to be willing to commit our resources, our time, our money, our energy into furthering the work of the gospel, because that's really the big focus, the big mission of our lives. Now, lastly, let's look at the, the Bohemian Lapsody. It's a made-up word, by the way. The Bohemian Lapsody. Verse 5. Imagine this. Imagine people gathered around in their kind of esoteric bubble, uh, playing music and so on. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. These leaders are luxuriating. They're not leading. Away with their music, God says. They're drinking, they're pampering of themselves. Now, these things are not necessarily wrong in themselves, what they were doing. Nothing wrong with music. God has given us music to enjoy. Nothing wrong with having a drink and not get drunk, not getting drunk. Nothing wrong with having a, a certain amount of pampering. We need to look after ourselves. These things are not necessarily wrong in themselves, but in the right place. But these folk were overindulging. And worst of all, they don't care about the ruin of people around them. The ruin of Joseph, which is another name for Israel, outside their nice houses, there were people hungry. There were people spiritually lost. They're fiddling whilst Rome burns, to use the phrase. They're partying whilst there are people outside their homes who are hungry and spiritually lost. They are enjoying their bohemian lifestyle whilst the nation around them is decaying morally and spiritually. Now, we've had our bubbles in the last year and a half or so, haven't we? had our bubbles but we must not be in a bubble that is kind of lost in our own world indulging not caring we need to break out that bubble if we're getting into it we need to break out maybe the complacency it's very easy isn't it, to settle uh, into a kind of a, an online christian lifestyle there's so many powerful preachers out there so many resources It'd be very easy for many christians around the world to settle into that kind of retreat into that bubble and just get their spiritual teaching simply through through the computer, through online. We need to break out our bubbles to touch the lives of others, each other in fellowship, and also to the world around us. And of course, we're not actually at total liberty to do that at the moment anyway, but uh, that's what we're hoping for and praying for. Now, these people would grieve if a bowl ran out of wine. It says, talks about their having bowls full of wine. Now, you know, oh dear, my, my bowl has, has run out of wine. Fetch me some more wine, they, they whined. But uh, they're not grieving, are they, that there are people outside their homes who are hungry physically and spiritually starving. They don't care that the time for their nation, their people, their existence is running out. It's only about 30 years before the Assyrians come. Verse 7. Therefore, you self-indulging, procrastinating, complacent people. You leaders who don't lead but luxuriate. You'll be amongst the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. And that came true. Now, as Christians, we're rejoicing in our salvation, our hope, in all that God is and all that he means to us, aren't we? But we're always recognizing that there are needs around us, desperate needs around us, the needs of mission, the needs of practical care, the need to look out for each other, the burdens that we need to help with and the joys and the sorrows that we need to share. 
The Apostle Paul talks about the burden of all the churches. He felt that burden. He, he cried for his fellow Christians. He wept. He prayed earnestly. And yet at the same time, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And yet he cries. He feels the burdens of the churches. There's a, a balance there, isn't there? There will be in a sin-spoiled world. So there's this mix of joy and sorrow. Rejoicing because we know the war is already won. The, one, the war has been won. We're on the winning side. But we're sober-minded until the last battle is finished. We're sober-minded until the last battle is over. So we need to be prepared, as Jesus said, to take up our cross daily. As he says in Matthew 16, he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, as we draw to a close, let me ask you, what luxury would we give up for the sake of another person's soul? What luxury would you give up for the sake of another person's soul? What did Jesus give up to save your soul? He gave up the glory of heaven, didn't he? And he suffered for your sins. So in, in summary, don't be complacent. There are some very serious things that need action and a response now. As Christians, we have crucial priorities. We have a vital mission to fulfill. There are important needs around us and issues in our own hearts that we need to face up to, sins to repent of, good things to pursue. Now, how many lifetimes do we have down here? Only one, like a coin. We can spend it any way we like, but we can only spend it once. Once it's spent, it's spent. A single lifetime to get stuck in. It's, it's striking me now because I'm 50 something, I'm 53. So, humanly speaking, I might only have 15, 20 years left. I might only have 15 years left of service, you know, if you like, before I have to retire. What am I going to do with those years? What are we going to do with our lifetimes? So, don't be complacent. Don't put things off that you can do things about them now. And don't overindulge. There's a war on, you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, even though it's challenging, even though it's searching, even though it's not easy to handle. But we thank you that you share it in love and we pray you'd help us to respond in grace, in your grace, with faith and with a determination not to be complacent, not to be procrastinating, putting things off always. And Lord, that we would recognize that we are in a warfare until you come, Lord Jesus, and help us to balance our needs and wants with luxuries that we might use our lives and resources as mac to the maximum for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom, for the blessing of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.